day, folks. Welcome to another edition of Cracking the Code. Uh, today, I got a good friend of mine. We met through a mutual friend, Marcus, and uh, Danny Passifumi. And I book, I butcher your last name every time, Danny. So good luck with this. No, you did you did well. You did well, <laughs> bro. Right. You Thank know, you. I I appreciate your story because one, you've overcome addiction and and opioids. Are, overcoming opioids is just flat out hell. Oh yeah. Um, secondly, you know, you made some mistakes. You own those mistakes, and you literally launched a podcast helping people learn from their mistakes and realize that they can grow from it. I mean, I, you had me on a guest. I've seen some of your other guests. You, you do a tremendous job. And I, I think it comes from a part of humility and vulnerability of sharing your story. And, and I'm dying for you to share your story with some of the listeners today. Yeah. I, listen, thank you so much for having me on, Ryan. I, I really appreciate it. I, um, man, I'll tell you, first off, you know, one of the things that I really appreciated was that you came on to our podcast and, um, you know, we are a little bit behind with getting recordings, but they are coming out now. Uh, we started, my partner, John and I, we started recovery chatter over the summer and, you know, as you know, I was on uh, home confinement, got out of prison and I'll get into that whole uh, spiel, kind of walk you through that. But um, yeah, recovery chatter, has been amazing we've been doing very well with it and really the goal is just to uh bring out the the stories of giving people hope and inspiration and really trying to get people to build a legacy that's our real theme i mean it's all about legacy and what are you doing with your recovery are you living a mediocre lifestyle are you going above and beyond to go out there and help people and we love to get those stories out there because I am, uh, you know, in a 12 step fellowship, 12 step always says help that ex, you know, help that person out, you know, the next person and, and doing the next right thing. So that's really the theme behind what recovery chatter is all about. I love it. And, and what I, I love a number of things, one, your humility and two, you respect the anonymity. You know, we say a 12 step program, you don't name, name it because it's supposed to be renamed anonymous. That's the purpose of it. It's not about us. It's something bigger than us, which is awesome. Uh, Absolutely. And, and yeah, you talk about being in confinement and then, you know, right now, you know, you moved out and some of these steps and, and a lot of people went through what you went through would have, would have folded. I'll be honest with you. Most people I know who went through it would have folded. Uh, but you, you didn't, not only did you not fold, but you grew from it, which is unbelievable. I mean, you've got yeah. two kids that are right now they're in their teens, right? Your early mid teens. Yeah. Yeah. I got That's two crazy. Teenagers. Right? Yeah. Yeah. My son, William is 17, just started driving. So that in itself could cause so any father <laughs> to drink. <laughs> Yeah, right. You know, it's gonna be nerve wracking. Yeah, and then I got a daughter who just tells me this year that she has a boyfriend, and I, that even I was like, "What is going on here? Like, God, are you really trying to test me?" You know. <laughs> so those two alone, forget about prison and all that. That was a that's a cakewalk compared to you know raising teenagers and making sure that uh, you know they're doing what they have to do. But I got to be honest with you, you know, my kids. You know, unfortunately, you know, when you go to prison, everybody is in prison. You know, they might not be behind the uh, bars, but they are experiencing it too. I have the most resilient, beautiful kids in the world. They're, all I was asking was, guys, whatever you do, try to do your best not to let your grades down. That's it. And man, I'll tell you, they, not only do they do well in school, they have excelled beyond what I ever thought they would. So very proud of that here. And I'm going to boast about it. 
You have every right to. I, you know, that's a direct reflection of you. And, you know, you've always spoke very highly of your ex-wife, which I yes. love to hear. When God, you know, Absolutely. I always think what defines you is how do you talk about the person who's mother your kids when you're not with them? You know, you know it, it, it wasn't easy in the beginning, but the key is, is that everything that I've accomplished so far has to do with accountability. I had to take accountability for everything I did. And it was more than just the old, you know, um, clean your side of the street. I really had to go and realize, look, I'll never forget my wife at, you know, um, you know, well, Jen, her name's Jen. I don't want to just keep referring to her as wife or ex or my baby's mama. <laughs> so, you know, it was, it was very important for her to realize that she didn't do anything wrong. I mean, she knows she has her part and we've had that conversation, but I really, I'll never forget when she said, you know, dad, you led a, I'm sorry, uh, Danny, uh, my wife at the time, she said, Danny, you're leading a life or a path of destruction. She's like, you're leading this path, you're leading this life and you're on a path of destruction. And man, that hit me. Cause I was like, holy cow, I am. And it, that echoed for years. And I just never wanted to ever go and uh, put her or the kids through that ever again. So the best thing that I could do was to go and do the next right thing. Now, I was the one that pursued the divorce. It was just, you know, it was time. Um, and one of the things that uh, I had to do was I had to bite my lip. You know, she, she's a Jersey girl. She's German and Hungarian, and she's got every bit of uh, that sassiness to her. So, you know, many times I've gotten those really bad text messages where we all, you know, as guys, our egos and pride get in the way, and we're like, we want to battle. And I just let the battle go and said, you know what? It's time to accept responsibility and accountability. That is what helped us because eventually she stopped saying she stopped. It, it all started where after she said what she said to me and those text messages, like you mother effer, you left me, blah, blah, blah. She started apologizing and then things start letting go. And then we built a really good relationship and we're actually really good friends right now. And it really had a lot to do with Hey, I had to accept responsibility for my part, take accountability. Well, you had said to me, Al, you've been you've been around me since I started going through that process. And you said, you just gotta be nice about your tongue. Just be just be nice about your tongue. And I and I had about five yeah buts, and you're like, Yeah, I get what you're trying to say, but Ryan, just bite your tongue. And it was, it was that's what it helped me to be very honest with you. Right now, we're probably in the best zone we've been in. We went through Christmas, New Year's tough time to go through, especially when you're you know in sobriety and you're going through divorce, yeah. life stresses. And um, I was able to get through pretty unscathed because, uh, frankly, I mean, we didn't have to go to war. I don't have to be your enemy. You know, I was able to buy her Christmas gifts, you know. And that's beautiful. You know, I mean, um, I, it is so it, it, it's all about the kids at this point. It's not about me and her. It really is about what can we do so that the kids can be happy. And that really was what it all was all about was, all right, well, you know, let's not fight. It's not worth it. It's over. Let's move forward and let's have a relationship where we can laugh and joke around the kids at least, even if it's fake, you know. Yeah, and sometimes just, it has to be fake. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's funny. I've um yeah, there's times like we'll, there'll be a quick joke and we might both laugh. And it goes back to be intense after. 
but there's those moments of comic interlude that kind of give you a breather. So let's get to your story. So what did you do? Yeah. What did you do before you got in trouble with the drugs and the and the work thing? I mean, what was your job? Yeah, my uh, drug of choice was alcohol uh, for a very long time. And then eventually I ended up picking up uh, pain medication when uh, I got hurt at work as a police officer. And once I started taking Percocets and I was always drinking, so I popped a couple Percocets and I was like, whoa, this is this is really nice. You know, you yeah. put in. It arrived. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. You're like, oh, wow, this is this is really mellow. Let me throw some Pink Floyd on or some uh, Amy Winehouse or something, you know, and <laughs> and um, just chill out. And that's really what it was about. I was like, wow, I can escape, you know, and not have to worry about a damn thing. Um, but ultimately, my life uh, started. I had I had my father passed away when I was 13 years old. My mother had to work two jobs. Um, we were getting help from social services and, you know, I had one or two, I had one of two paths to pick. I could have went and continued on that my path that my father was, uh, paid in for me and, or I could go the other way. And of course I chose the other way because to me at that time, it was more fun. I had no more, no supervision. So I was getting in trouble drinking. I'll never forget my first party I went to. You know, uh, growing up as a kid, you know, every now and then we go grab a beer or two from dad's, uh, you know, refrigerator, go out in the woods and, you know, act like a bunch of jackasses. But it was when I was 13, well, no, I was 14 years old. And I, because he died two weeks before my birthday, my first Where did he die? Do you remember me asking? And yeah, so he, uh, my father played college ball, baseball for NJIT and he went sliding into second base and jammed his hip. Eventually, like he had arthritis and he was 40 years old and he had to go in for hip surgery, total hip replacement and complications from that. He just, he passed away. Yeah, he actually passed away like a week after the surgery. Oh, Jesus Christ. I had no idea, man, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um, that was back in 89. So it's been a long road. And I'll tell you, even at the age of 48 that I'm at, there are times I'm like, dad, I really could use you right now, you know? Yeah. So, and shit, man, it's like, you know, it's just, you really, it, it, a father is so important in their kids' lives. And, and I say that because I'm hoping that there's some fathers out there that realize, you know, your listeners realize how important it is the role is huge be a part of your kids lives because they need you even if they um are angry with you and they're not talking responding send letters send cards send those text messages and say i love you and everything because i'm telling you it was huge because when i went to treatment well let me uh actually you know before i get into that so i i just my childhood was nothing but i can make this wrap this part up real quick it was a lot of destruction, a lot of juvenile delinquency, um, you know, partying. I grew up in a town called Spotswood. We called it Pottswood yeah. because that's what we did. We drank and, you know, but yeah, I mean, my 14th birth, I mean, around my 14th uh, birthday, I went to a party, a friend's house, and that was my real first drink. 
and it was like liquid confidence because his brother was throwing a party he was in a band and so those band his band was playing and there's older girls there and yeah i had the confidence to talk to these older girls and hanging out and i was like wow this is cool then it just turned into other uh situations like you know going out and partying with older people and it, you know going to um uh you know concerts and just really just drinking was it was like where were where were we going to take our beer today yeah and i led that life for a long time there's one thing i could say if i went on a fishing trip if i went to a sporting event i might have forgotten some food i might have forgotten a fishing pole i never forgot beer it was always with me i could tell you that with confidence that i went 100 percent without forgetting alcohol because it was a part of my life and everybody around me drank, so I never thought I had a problem. So I ended up becoming a police officer. And that was actually, uh, ended up being a bad thing because I had the badge and that badge protected me, got me out of a lot of trouble. And I did that for 22 years. And there have been times where we got um, really messed up, fights, pull the badge out and I got, you know, away with the, a lot of stuff that I shouldn't have. I should have gotten in a lot of trouble, but I didn't. Um, I ended up getting hurt at work. I got jumped. Uh, there was, there was uh, an event that went on. We had like a, a festival in town and, um, you know, I ended up getting, it was a mock fight. Basically there was a gang that was, um, you know, preparing to like, they were playing around fighting. It was, it looked real. We were breaking it up. Soon as we went to break it up, they jumped on us. It was totally staged. We ended up finding that out through investigation, but they kicked the crap out of us. Jesus. So anybody that, anybody that wants to know about a, a cop that got their butt kick, here I am. But there was about 15 of them. It did a number on us. It was me, a female cop, another officer, another male. Ended up going to, uh, you know, uh, workers comp. Doctor gave me that's where he gave me the Percocet and then went home and had, threw a couple of those in with some beer. And that's when I realized how nice and toasty you could get. Not up there. Cause I, I was dealing with a lot of demons as a police officer. I had a couple babies die in my arms. One in particular was two years wow. old. Oh yeah. Two year old baby. That one really killed me because my son was two years old at the time. Oh. And yeah, she, she drowned. Her mother, quick story about it, uh, the background on it. Her mother and her would go to this ravine to feed the ducks. It was one of those February days where it's like 65 out and it feels like it's 80. Yeah. And, you know, everybody's outside hanging out. How's everything going? Beautiful day. It's a nice little neighborhood. Um, they realized their daughter was gone. It was like one of those like split seconds, like 30 seconds. And then the family, everybody ran to the house thinking she went in the house. She went to the ravine. She ended up drowning. So we get there. I bring her back to life. I got her in my arms and everything. And then she dies right in my arms again. We rush her to the hospital. And I, man, I'll tell you what. I mean, we get choked up right now. Yeah, so why? Fuck. Yeah, holy cow. Um, it, it was just brutal. It was brutal. And that started picking up because I had nightmares. You know, when 
you see a movie and you see a fate like the faces flash or whatever yeah. and it's up yeah i had dreams that that was my son that was doing cpr oh. on holy cow i was like uh, nightmares for years oh. so um i did a i i picked up my drinking right after that and i didn't want to be a cop anymore but i just did it i showed up to work and everything i eventually uh while i was on work with his comp from that injury that I was telling you about before I went to a Metallica concert. Now I was trying to get off the Percocet because I was already, I, I've been on it for like eight, nine months at this point. I was out of work for almost a year. And um, yeah, I herniated a uh, disc in my neck and lower back. And um, I was trying to get off because I knew I was starting to have a problem. I was like, all right, you know, I'll just stick to drinking. I got to get off the perks because this is starting to get, you know, I'm starting to go through withdrawals and all this stuff. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm at the concert. I'm standing up because everybody's standing up. And my uh, back was killing me. And I told my friend, I'm like, of all days that I quit taking Percocets, today's a day that I could really use one. And he's like, oh, I got one for you. So I'm looking at it. He gives me it. I'm like, dude, what is this? Is it a Percocet? What is this? He says, well, it's the same thing. Ends up being a Roxy 30. And, man, you know when guys go and... <laughs> you know when guys go and they start getting into the I love you man and they're just like oh man that was it I fell in love I yeah. fell in love and I don't like to talk like having these like glamorous war stories but yeah but I mean if you, that's the truth if we didn't love it it wouldn't have hooked us yeah but it's like anything it's like an abusive relationship it hooks you and then it beats the shit out of you oh it beat the crap out of me all right it was all fun and games until the games weren't fun anymore. And that was it. I mean, I fell in love with it. I knew exactly where I could go get it. And so I went to this doctor. I told him, you know, my back's kill me and that, you know, he, and I knew I could get it off him because uh, I was doing business with them. I had a medical supply company that I was doing business oh, with. Sure. So, yeah. So um, I had a little side business where I would, um, you know, I, doctors were, um, you know, sending me patients that needed like wheelchairs, walkers. I did a lot of durable medical equipment or, and orthotics. Um, so we were good friends. And I knew it, with my best manipulating skills that I was able to get them. And sure enough, I did. And um, so I was getting like, I want to say, I don't know. I think that at the time it was like 90 pills a month or something like that. 90 30s 90 30s i thought i was with 110 i got 112 oxy 10s and i thought that was a score back when i was getting scripts that's crazy oh it don't stop there so my so i was taking those and then it, then after time next thing you know i was running out of them of so i went back to them and i told them oh my wife is having real bad back problems she's got a hernia and all this stuff and um you know, uh, I'm sorry, I mean, herniated this in her back and all that. And I say, can you write her a script as well? So he's like, well, I don't, you know, I got to really see her and everything. I'm like, well, I'll bring her in, in, in two weeks, I'll bring her in. She's hurting right now. So, you know, once her back gets a little better, I'll bring her in. So he's like, dude, he said, make sure you bring her in. So I said, yeah, just, take, 
<laughs> yeah. Of course, I never brought her in. No, they of course, for, I didn't think you would. Yeah. Would you? Yeah, no, they, were, they weren't for her. If I brought her in, you know. She'd be, what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, you're physical. <laughs> <laughs> Just shut off. You hit her in the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give her a kick her right in the back and say, this is why. <laughs> so, yeah, it does. So now I had 180 of them. And eventually that ended up not being enough. And yeah, then that ended up not being enough. And that's when really all the poor decisions started coming. Like you would think, uh, you know, here I am, I'm snorting freaking blues while I'm at work as a police officer with a gun on my side, uh, drinking. Um, I would just do enough at work so that I didn't get withdrawals. But as soon as I got off of work, um, matter of fact, I'd, uh, before I even left work, I would go into Krausert's in, uh, in town and nobody, you know, the guys that work there, the owners, they give me the bottles. They'd already, as soon as they see my car pull up, they already had it ready. Uh, cause I wanted to get in and get out. And so as soon as I got out of headquarters, I go right down the end of the lot. I'd, I had two bottles. I had a pint of Jameson and then a handle of it. And I would go down the end of the road and drink that pint and um you know by the time i got home which was only a few minutes away i was toasty like snort a couple of can i ask you a question yeah i i i'm always speaking for me and the guys that i ran with um yeah once i turned opioids alcohol was kitty play a guy named wine alcohol that's at one point still yeah yeah maybe because you still had to get i'd go on social (laughs) drinks with some pills you're right but once I crossed that line where I was no longer social, people knew I was a junkie. Then all I did was snort pills. Oh yeah, no. Th- then I was I stayed home. Nobody even knew I had a problem. That's crazy. Um, I mean, I hit it for years, but not like that. I mean, people knew. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I'm sure the, the guys at work eventually did know. Uh, they just they didn't say anything. Nobody Your wanted brother. to get involved. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was a combination of you know guys either didn't want to get involved, they didn't want to be a rat, or you know, they were worried and they've said things to me. Like, you know, I had guys say to me, like, dude, you got to go get checked out and, and go see somebody. You, you know, I had guys that would say that to me. Um, and then I'll never forget, like, I drove my kids home from school and I took a couple of Roxy's. Um, and, and when I tell you, like, the school was literally a block and a half. Usually I'd pick them up and, you know, like I would walk over all the time, walk over, get them, we'd walk home and it was raining out. So I picked them up and I drove and I hit a curb and my kids of course told their mother, which I'm glad they did. And, you know, she came home and man, she ripped me a new one. And I don't know. I just started acting like an idiot. I don't even know why I did this till this day, but I started getting all the guns out of my house and putting them in the truck. Because I, I think because I was afraid that the cops would take my yeah they're coming. So she yeah. Because, yeah her father called the cops, um because we were fighting, uh you know arguing arguing we weren't yeah, I know, we, yeah. never physical but um I and what what happened was she she called her father and said he's taking all the his guns and putting them in the back of his truck. Her father probably thinks you want to shoot somewhere up. Yeah, he probably yeah he, I I don't know I'm sure no matter what it was he was obviously worried about his daughter and the kids. You know, so which I uh, rightfully so, you know, absolutely. I mean, I would do the same thing. So, 
but I don't know why I did. I think the only reason why I did it was I was afraid that they were coming and they were going to take them away. And I had so but many. I always of them. did that. Every time I thought the cops were coming, I don't, I don't have any guns. Let me put it out there. Now I have no guns. <laughs> because at one point somebody said, oh, the cops think you might have, you know, you want me to get the guns out of your house? I'm like, my friend used to be a priest, but he was, <laughs> he was a Navy SEAL before that, though. He was a badass guy. He just died. Oh, Navy SEAL and a priest? He became a priest after. It's kind of a weird thing, right? You go from. Oh, he passed away? In the ground. Yeah, he just had pancreas. Great guy. Died. Oh. Tremendous human being. Of course. The guy that's said, why. He called me up and he goes, you know, somebody made a comment. They think that you might have, like, do you have guns or any drugs in the house? I'll come get them out of the house, you know, in case they come. I'm like, they can come, buddy. I'm like, it might scare me, but I got no guns. I got no drugs anymore, you know? Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, though, saying, back when I was doing the wrong thing, really, in my 20s, I remember going out, putting the guns in the car, parking the gun. I had a condo parking down at a visitor spot. Just thinking, like, if they come to my house, I don't want any guns in here. I don't want the mandatory year in jail. I mean, you were a cop, it's a little different, but. Um, let me ask you, isn't it nice now? Never have to worry about that shit. Oh man. I'll tell you, I am so happy. I'm, I mean, that, that job, you looking over your back all the time. Um, you're an instant target on the defense. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of it was, I, I mean, I didn't really want to be a cop. I, it was kind of funny. I, my, uh, father-in-law was around that time of my life where he knew that me and uh, Jen were going to get married. He, he's like, what are you going to do with yourself? Because at the time I was like doing flat roofs and it was such a dirty job. Um, I wasn't going to college or doing anything. And I was, he was like, why don't you take the civil service job and, and you know, apply to become a cop? And I, I really didn't want to do it. I actually wanted to do physical therapy. I don't know why, but that's what I wanted to do at that time. And um, I'll tell you what, when I like, I took the test and I couldn't believe it. I passed. And I was like, ah, oh, shit, like I passed. And then next thing you know, um, I was like, well, you know what? I'm not going to tell them if they call. Well, he freaking found out that I had a certain score and that these, this town was looking for me and everything. And I was like, son of a bitch, he freaking found out. So I had to take the job and I took it. Went to you the did academy. 22 years though, right? Yeah. Let me ask you, did you end up getting a pension or because of how everything went down, did you not get your pension? No. So what happened was with my business that i had a friend of mine that was a childhood friend that i trusted um he uh we got into this compounding thing where it's compounding cream like pound uh like pain reliever like like lidocaine with uh they would add like ketamine to it so instead of taking yeah yeah a little special care you know yeah let's go clubbing i got some cream yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know so um yeah so we so we had uh it had ketamine in it so it had to be prescribed and um the perp the 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 purpose of it was to help with eliminating and this is funny here it is i'm i'm doing drugs i'm i'm you know uh snorting pills and i'm trying to sell doctors on how this can help with uh the addiction issues that we're having you know i mean i laugh about it but i mean but, but in all honesty it does kind of make sense because as somebody who's an addict i don't know you born i'm struggling with pills I never, like people would say, do you like, hook your friends up? Do you get any extra for your friends? I never want to bring somebody else down with me. It sucked. No. I would no, do it you... quietly in my office or in my house. Yeah. I didn't want anybody to know. I didn't want anyone else to be sucked into this hell. So I understand. And it does make sense. You'd love to save somebody else a chance to put back cream on rather than be snorting pills. Oh, absolutely. Think about it. Yeah, no. You know what? Probably subconsciously I did think of that. I, I don't know. 
but at the time I was making a lot of money off it and um, not knowing that actually uh, what I, what, what my partner and I realized was that um, people that were in uh, like public employees, you know, your police first responders, uh, teachers, they had obviously really good insurance and the insurance paid out well. So we were making a lot of money and it was, we were making a lot of money quickly. Um, I was making like, you know, 40, $50,000 a month. And this is just like a side thing. You know, I wasn't it sounding like it was like full time. Yeah. I was making more than drug dealers, but, um, <laughs> but so, but, so what ended up happening? So I, I was always good. I did a lot of stupid things in my life. Um, somehow, some way I always got out of it or I never got caught. I always went in and did things quickly and got the hell out. You know, I didn't want to push it. And so that was one of those situations. The problem is though, is that, um, you know, I, I'm assuming, I'm sure this probably would happen. I don't like to be a conspiracy theorist, but I'm sure that the insurance companies were like, we got to put a stop to this because these compounding creams are paying out like $10,000 a scrap and we can't afford this. So they probably, you know, next thing you know, the feds got involved. They end up cracking the pharmacy first. When I learned that the pharmacy got um, raided, and when I say pharmacy, it wasn't your CVS or anything. It was like a corporate pharmacy. It was actually called Rexel Drugs. And um, they were at, based out of uh, Kentucky. And, you know, it was just uh, something my friend got me into. He ended up... Um, uh, we end up finding out about the raid. So we're like, that's it. Shut it down. Yeah. That's it. No more. So that was back in like 2015. Okay. Next thing you know, um, 2020. Now I retired in 2019 because I started, started getting the, um, the feeling that they were coming, you know, you feel, yeah, the, you feel it. Yeah. You feel the heat. You feel it's coming. You know, you're like, they're, 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 they're starting to get close. It's almost like soldiers coming down, you know, yeah. like the, in the civil war, they're come, they're marching towards yeah. you. And I felt it. And I was like, you know what? I hate this job. I don't want to do it anymore. Um, I like the aspects of being a police officer, like helping people, like not just helping them. Like I'm talking about like being in a more intimate relationship with the community and helping them. Like if there was somebody that, cause I, cause I end up and I have to back up, but you know, I, eventually I went to treatment. And then once I went to treatment, I changed my whole attitude about looking at people. So if somebody was burglarizing something, I was trying to find out why and trying to get them help. I would ask them, let me see your arms, you know, come yeah, on, man, yeah. let's get you help. You know, think that's I. So instead of me going and being that cop that arrested them and threw them in jail, I was like, let's find out what's going on with your life. Let's see what we can do. And I was getting more involved and I like that. So then um, kind of lost track where I was where I was heading, but, uh, oh, the compounding cream. And 15 and then like yeah. Around. So the compounding cream, what happened with that was eventually, uh, after I retired, I, um, in 2000, end of 2020, I retired in November of, uh, 2019, December, 2020, the feds called up, uh, one of my friends that was also involved. It was like 15 of us. And, um, so what happened was I was like, he called up asking about like, you know, when did you start getting these creams and all that? So I got an attorney. I was talking to my attorney and I said, look, 
Um, I think I did something illegal. I really don't know what, but I want to retain your services and uh, I want you to talk to the feds. And she was like, wait, hold on a second. So why would you want me to talk to the feds? I said, because I'm in recovery right now and I can't deal with the fact that maybe I did something wrong and I, I cannot lie anymore. Yeah, it's hanging over you. So let me just, real, third, like two minutes, I'll go back. So uh, 2016, I had my family and friends, like I was, you know, full-blown, uh, December 2016, I ended up going into treatment. Um, it was shortly after, um, yeah, it was shortly after, I would say, man, right after I think we stopped, uh, I ended up going into treatment shortly after that. I was, I was completely out of control. Yeah. I was home. I was always passed out. Um, I didn't know my, my right from my left. I, I was, I would just come home. I would use drink and somehow get to work, eat a little bit. And it was just such a, a miserable life. And my family saw that. And so they had an intervention. So I went to treatment down in Florida and I came back. I did good for about two months, ended up drinking again. So I wasn't using pills or anything like that. And I thought I could still drink and I just was blacking out drinking. So, uh, July 12th, 2017, I stopped, I went to treatment and, uh, from there it was, uh, you know, I, I've been sober since. So, um, you know, it's been, it's been one hell of a ride. I'll tell you, but after I got out of treatment, and you know, you got the pink clouds, rainbows and unicorns and lucky charms and all this good stuff. I um I really was like, man, this is awesome. And I just want to spread this uh, this happiness around and and really I, I came back even to work. I was in such a good mood and pleasure to be around. And people were like, Wow, dude, what a 180 you did. Yeah. In a matter of three months. <laughs> you know, but of course, yeah. you know. Now it's now it's time to start building a trust back, and then fast forward it now to 2019. I'm like sitting there saying like, "Holy shit! Here it is! I just started building trust back, and I know something's coming. I know it's coming." And and so I wanted to kind of beat the punch, beat them to the punch, and really just find out what is it that they're looking for. I might be a part of this. I don't know. What were they looking for? What was the whole thing? Just said the. Trying to... They were doing, they're still doing it. I mean, they're still out there doing it um, where they're locking people up because of dispensing compounding creams. And they were like, because we were soliciting people in a certain demographic of, uh, it's like I said, public employees. We all do that. We all solicit certain demographic. You know, I'll, I'll tell you my what. My marketing based on, I chased after a certain type of criteria. You know what, Ryan? It's so funny because until COVID, when I started really getting into sales, I was like, I started looking back and I was like, you know what? I don't understand this. If I had like a half a million dollars to throw at an attorney, would have walked away like this. Yeah, I, I, I might have been able to beat it. The only thing is that I did wrong was that I started, I, you know, I went out and I bought myself a brand new truck and I got a Harley. And I treated myself. I got brought the kids in and every like I took that money and I didn't save it or anything. I just used it because it was play money. Yeah, and you know, sometimes. 
yeah so it was vacation times and and also my friends started seeing this that were you know they were involved and they're like dude why don't you hook me up and everything i'm like well you're going and getting your own stuff at this doctor that is me hooking you up you know he got a hold of my attorney and was like all right i want to go and i'm going to speak to the feds and she's like danny you don't even know if they're even coming, if they even ha- want you. I go, no, nope, they're coming. I could feel it. They're they're going to be coming for me. Funny so, the intuition you get when you get sober, too. You're very intuitive. Huh? It's funny, like, when you get sober, how it says we intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us. Like, you just intuitively know, hey, you know, something's going on here. Let's get ahead of it. Yeah, it was just, for me, I lied for so many years, and I was tired of lying, looking over my back. You know, I, I was having an affair, you know, and I'm looking over my back with that. And I'm not proud of it at all. Believe me. No, but it um, happened. But it, it happened. It was, it was something that I did. It wasn't really, you know, it was definitely not the right thing to do. Um, but it was just, I hated living the lies anymore and, and looking over my back. And, and so I told my attorney, now there was 15 people involved. I was the only one that went forward and said, um, I screwed up. I think I'm part of uh, this this whole scheme and everything, and I want to confess to it, and I want to do it because of my recovery. I want you know, in the name of my recovery, I I wanted to stop lying. And out of the 15 people, I was the only one that got freaking uh, that got charged. And um, oh god, yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, but no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> You, I still this day I can't believe it, and I'm like, yeah, you, know you don't know the hammer could drop five years from now and drop hard on them. No, you know what? It, I don't want anything bad to happen oh, to anybody at all. Saying, you know what? But it is. Past. But no, I mean the feds are the feds. I, I don't want to screw around. I won't even lick a stamp the wrong way. I'm not even joking. I won't. I won't even. I won't. I don't even want to throw away the junk mail. <laughs> you know. Um, no, they just. You know. So, I. I Maybe it worked out. I was supposed to get 36 to 40 months in prison. I ended up getting nine months in prison, nine months in um, home confinement. And um, Let me ask you, when you went to prison, what was it like? Being, I mean, I know when I was in prison, like, and I was in a, one place I was in, it was pretty intense. The other place was pretty easy. Um, but I know there's a thing with yeah. cops. Like, was it hard being a cop in there? Oh, yeah. They knew. They knew. And, um, you know what? I respected boundaries. I respected that I was now in their world. These are guys that, you know, put it this way. The prison I went to was up in Pennsylvania. They called it gladiator school. I'm not even, these guys were animals. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to keep my, you know how they say, keep your head up and your, you know, I kept my head down and I looked very meek and like humbled very quickly. I was not going to go and I was not in any shape anyway, but even if I was the biggest, even if I was Lee Haney, I was not going to open up my mouth, you yeah, know, you get out. Yeah. All I need is a shank in the neck or something, you know, for a stupid white collar crime. Yeah. So yeah, no, there were some big players in there without a doubt. Um, and I'm not going to lie. I was freaking scared shitless. I was walking yeah. in and, um, I'll never forget my sister would drove me up to, cause I had to turn myself in and she was doing like 90 and I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you driving so fast? I am not looking to go there yeah. like any quicker, you know? 
and she started laughing yeah she's like started laughing she's like i didn't even realize it but i'm like can you slow down just a little bit like i'm not in any hurry to get there we got till 12 it's eight o'clock we could go hang out get breakfast somewhere it's gonna be my last meal i'm gonna be eating ramen and uh ramen noodles yeah ramen and mackerel for the next uh several months ramen noodles Uh, become a delicacy when you go to jail (laughs) i never knew that (laughs) i i let me tell you i made so many different styles of you know the the Spanish dudes were the best. Mixed, mixed. Oh my God. They, the Spanish guy, I, I learned more stuff in there and how to cook ramen noodles and rice. Jose's, every, it was always a Jose who was the barber. He would take a razor, snap it with his teeth, he cut you with a razor. It was unreal. I wish I could find somebody who could cut out like that on the streets. That was the other thing, too, the barber. Yeah. Man, these guys, yeah. And they were methodical about it. Really? Like there was, you'd be one hair, one hair at a time, they're cutting it. I'd be in the bar. I, I didn't care. I mean, you had nothing but time. Every minute felt like a day, you know? So, um, but yeah, I mean, as a, you know, as a cop, they were actually, I'll tell you what helped me out. So there was this guy, his name was magic. He was a uh, outlaw of a motorcycle gang, black dude, big black guy. And um, he, uh, he was one of these guys that, you know, you know, in prison, it's actually comical because, uh, everything is segregated. You got the whites go. Yeah. The whites, there's the white TV yes. room, the black TV room, the Hispanic TV room, you know? Um, and that was the same thing with, with the gym, you know, it was like, you only go during these hours and these hours. And I could never get to the gym because it was the hours that I was working in the kitchen and getting everything prepared. So I was the only guy that left prison fatter. <laughs> I did too. This yeah, telling you, I, I, I actually was. My friends were like, "Dude, you're gonna go there. You know, you come out losing weight and, and shape." No, I came out freaking fatter. And uh, one friend was like, "Dude, what the hell happened? You look like you gained weight." I'm like, "I did. I couldn't go to the gym. I wasn't allowed. You yeah, know, crazy. It wasn't my time slot." But so magic. Uh, so a couple of guys had cell phones in there. And, you know, magic always came out and uh, there was a couple of guys I hung out with. I hung out with, you know, obviously you hang out with the whites and blacks, stay with the blacks and everybody just kind of does their own thing, you know, so weird. magic. Yeah. Ma- yeah. And it was very weird, but um, magic would come over every now and then by our table and talk to us while we had coffee in the morning. And um, so one day he's out in the yard, he's got his, he had a cell phone. And he was talking around the corner and one of the guards saw him and I was actually in the unit and um, cause you could go in and out of the, the unit into the yard. It wasn't like, you know, you had yard time or something like that. And um, so he, he's like, he goes to one of his boys and says, take this, take this. The guard's coming, the guard's coming. And his boy's like, nah, man, I don't want nothing to do with it. I'm like, magic, give it to me. So I grabbed the phone go to the bathroom and act like, you know, I'm doing business inside there for a while. And the guards looking all around. And I, you know, then he finally said, dude, he's like, he's gone. The next thing, you know, um, later that evening, uh, this Italian guy came up, he's from the Gambino crime family. And he dropped off a chicken parm sandwich. It says, you know, that Brooklyn, that tight accent with the Italian behind it. And he's like, you did real good today. You saved the unit and everybody getting locked down. And dude, I ate like a king from that point on. After that, it was like no problems. Everybody, dude, I, I'm telling you, it was like God said to me, let me help him out a little bit so he yeah. doesn't get shanked or something. 
But that saved my ass, man. I'm telling you, because I was scared shitless that something was going to happen. I, I slept with all my clothes on, my boots, everything, and it was so oh, yeah. uncomfortable. You know, because you didn't know what the hell was going to happen. I always slept in my, my jumpsuit. And people would be like, yeah, why are you hanging your jumpsuit? Oh, yeah, fuck that noise. I'm like, yeah, yeah. you're going to get me. You're going to go through everything, you know? <laughs> no, when I used to see guys laced up and everything, their boots tight and all that, so I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, there's going to be something's going down. You know, there was a couple of stabbings. It was crazy, man. I'm like, what the hell? I thought I was supposed to go to, like, some... You know, so like a, a camp where um, the situation went to and stuff. You know, like yeah. uh, you know exactly. I was like, I was hoping I would go to this like summer camp. Jersey guy, come on, from yeah, home. exactly. You know, he's <laughs> he went to Jersey. You know, he's from Jersey. I'm from Jersey. Why didn't I go where he went? You know, yeah. And um, I'm telling you, it was it, the, the prison was gladiator school. So, um, but you know, I'll tell you, um. I remember my father used to say to me, Danny, don't make a federal case out of this whenever I did anything. Now I know why. The process, every step, everything takes forever in, in a day. And I swear to God, I know that people say this all the time. I never, I'm telling you, I won't look this thing alone. I don't want to go through that process. It was so damn painful with how long it was. Even, even now, like, for instance, I'm uh, like right now. I went from uh, being on a home confinement. I had the ankle bracelet on. Even then, yes, I was home. I could see the kids all the time, um, and it was it was a hell of a lot better than being in uh, prison. Yeah, but um, it just felt like it, it just felt like forever. And I just got off uh, November twentieth. Uh, the bracelet came off and. Um, I'll tell you what, man, it was such a relief because I was like, now I could go out to get something to just eat, to get a, a real hot. Yes. Just to get a coffee, just to get a, a hot meal, not a, not, you know, uh, anything brought home. Yeah. You know, I could go to Chili's and go get uh, fajitas and stuff like that. I so, forget how, how important that is. Like, I, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's true. You you forget very easily, but I'll tell you right now. I'm keeping it fresh in my mind. I um, uh, you know, so right now when I'm I'm actually at a sober living house. That's awesome. And yeah, I you know you know what I had to do this because again going back to my recovery, I I feel as though I even with the time, I feel as though I had to have um that accountability. You know, I'm, I'm in a group, good group with guys, um, a real good, uh, real good group of guys here. And, um, you know, it was, um, it, they're really, really, it's an older group of guys. So there's nothing, no young guys that bullshit. are going to be, no, yeah, no freaking bullshit, no uh, drama, you know, no girls, are, you know, driving you nuts and stuff like that. And, uh, so it's it's really good um you know i hit up the meetings i'm treating it as if i literally am back in recovery like for the first time and, that's cool though if you chase yeah. it today you'll never have, you know i you know a guy from AA who says if you don't get away from basics you won't have to get back to basics yeah you know and and that really is important is you know this is a one day at a time you know i you know you, you can have seven years ten years but it really is all those days and i'm not going to figure out what that math is but you know three thousand ten years three thousand six hundred and whatever 50 days 
it's still one day at a time. And that's why, you know, when I do the, you know, when I'm in the rooms, it's all about, um, remember like the people that have the 30 days, the 60 to 90, it is huge how they don't realize it yet, how important their role is because they remind me of, Hey, um, seeing them come into the, to the rooms, dragging their feet and, oh. you know, one, one smell of something bad they're ready to puke yeah bones are freaking cracking and miserable uh, you're and in those stuck. uncomfortable pajamas or something you just feel like you just try to stay alive oh my god yeah you you just like man I, I i'll tell you i'd rather get stabbed in the stomach than to go through uh opioid uh withdrawals you know i'm telling you that was the worst pain I've ever had in my entire life. Oh, your whole your soul shakes. Oh, it's gross. Oh my God, it, it's just horrible. It, it, that was the worst thing, and I those are the little things that I remember. Of course, my kids. That's always in the back of my mind. I don't want to let them down. Of course, you know everything is about me. I always say this. Um, my recovery and what I do, I do it for me, and and me being happy everybody else reaps the benefits, the dividends, they get the dividends, you know? So I want you to give me one closing thought. If there's one thing you could tell somebody who's watching, who, even if they're not X, somebody who's going through hell, like if you've been through hell back, what would be the one thing you would say to somebody like, Hey, this is, this is my piece of advice. I honestly, it really comes down to you truly finding out, going digging deep, and get to the center of your authenticity and really bring that out and, and understanding, are you really lying to yourself about things? You know, like if you're, you know, sit back and really identify before you um, do something or say something, is my ego getting in the way? Is pride a part of this uh, thought, you know, or is there a fear? You know, so really get digging deep down into that authenticity, that authentic side of you and understanding um, any decision that you make, why am I doing this, you know, and, and really finding out because I knew for myself, telling the truth was huge. I felt relieved. Makes um, it easier. It, it really does. So from my, my advice is, there's so many different things that are involved with recovery. One of the main things is being authentic and understanding that, which eventually when you become authentic and you really are digging deep into your truth, then things like you being, um, you being um, accountable for your actions come into play, you know, and then you doing the next right thing comes into play. And you're doing things for others and without any sort of, um, you know, you, you, with, with you just doing like, you, you know, for instance, what drives, one of the things that drives me nuts and I know we're closing this out, but one of the things that I, drives me nuts is when you see this, these things on like TikTok or Instagram, you see somebody helping a homeless person, giving them yeah, new and shoes. The asshole takes the camera out. And the guy's got the camera. Like, yeah. come on, man. It's so self-serving. Yeah. Do it yeah. because you just want to do it. Like, I go to outreaches all the time. I don't have a camera there. There's nothing. Uh, it, there's not. This is 
you're putting these people that are already in a very vulnerable position in their life. These are, this is a vulnerable population and you're going and blasting them on TikTok because you're self-serving, you know, help them out, pick them up. Don't freaking drag them down more because you want to go and get a, a you know, go viral because you think you're doing something right. There's an ulterior motive behind it. So get down to that authenticity and help somebody. That's really my closing thoughts is really That's a Marcus just, thing too. You know, Marcus, a shout out to Marcus Ogden who tied us together. Yeah. You know, Marcus uh, is a good dude. I'm actually dude. working for him now. Are you? Yep. Marcus brought me on to be his uh, director of sales. You know what? He did tell me you would do something with him. I didn't remember what he said. I got I got to call him tomorrow morning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you, Marcus. You know, there, there's so many. I thank him all the time. Because here it is, you got an, a former NFL player, right? I'm a uh, former addict, alcoholic, con, you know, former felon, and he trusts me. I mean, he's just know, a good dude. You know, markets. He one, he knows character. He when he sees it, and I really yeah, without a doubt, reach out to character. Markets isn't just some football player who had things. He, he didn't make. A, you know, he was one of those guys who got super rich in the NFL, but he was a hot player. Yeah. He went through losses. He lost his mom yeah. to, you know, and his dad, who was a big pot. And he, the character he has, he's just, well, he's one of those, he's just a solid dude. He's a guy who he really is, you know, and I, so I think he brought you on because he, he has a lot of faith in you. I mean, he talks so highly of you. And I mean, I've got to he's, know you. So I think the world, yeah. And it's just, it's, it, no, I mean, everybody I've met through Mark has been good people. You know, he's a good guy. No, I'll tell you, he told me about you and told me your story. And then I watched the um, podcast w where you were on with Marcus and you have a, an amazing story yourself. And um, I, I knew right away, I was like, we're going to hit it off guy from Boston. I'm from Jersey, New York city area. We're, you know, we're going to have some great talks and um, you know what it is too. We got that, we got that Northeast attitude that, it's it we just mesh well you know and that's what it is like we could go and bust each other's balls and laugh about it you we're know we're the same people. cloth you know I, I used to date a girl from the midwest and her family used to be like you know what these is and i'd be like i don't know what you're talking about you guys gotta speed up a little you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. everybody all you guys are in a hurry well yeah because we want to get to where we want to get to we're everything about us is either you if you don't do it if, if you don't accomplish something you feel like a failure yeah you know and it's like, uh, it's just awesome uh, that we were able to connect. Yeah, I'm telling you, we and I got a lot of, I definitely am happy that we, you know, I know you had a couple of things going on and um, and I wanted to give you your space. And then I was hoping, I, it was so funny. I was like, let me reach out to him. It's a new year. And see yeah, I'm glad I heard from you. You know, yeah, it's been a rough couple of months on with, you know, obviously what's going on at home and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I daughter's but, surgery stuff, but you know what? It's getting good now. And, uh, and that's great. Side of it, you know, all right, I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to give yeah. you a for a few minutes. I'll give you a call when I get in the car. I just want you got it, brother. Hey, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, brother. This is great.